Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and this is Players, conversations with musicians about their interest in sports. And I could not be more excited because my guest this week is Mark Roberge, lead singer, frontman for the band OAR. So I grew up in Northern Virginia, and OAR is a band that is basically this group of local guys made good. You know, for the past couple decades, their their career spans so many years, 20 years now that they've been together. Um, you know, some of their songs have become like anthems, right, of different eras of your life. There was Shattered, Crazy Game of Poker, and now they've got their 10th studio album, The Mighty, which is just released. Their music is awesome, but what I like even more is hearing about how they came together. And that story is crazy because trust me, if you've ever had a pipe dream um, of performing on stage at a talent show, this is why you need to hear that story. Um, That's incredible. But also the path that this band took and the way that they managed really their, their careers as a rock band when they sort of it was like very much specifically guided, but then on the other side, it kind of wasn't, and they were really just having fun. It's this awesome blueprint, I think, for success. And so Mark came by to talk to me in New York City, which is where he calls home now, but we talked about all of it. We talked about him being a father. We talked about the music and where he gets his inspiration and the things that he has found that have worked for him along the way that really can apply to anyone. And then there's sports and the fact that I really can't let him live down the fact that he used to be a Capitals fan and now he's a Rangers fan, but his reasoning behind it actually makes a lot of sense. So there is so much to take from this episode. Mark was so kind. I love that our paths have intertwined so much um, from growing up in Virginia to my days at ESPN when their band would be playing the ESPYs and different events that I was a part of. Um, They're awesome music awesome guys. And I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. Let me know your thoughts, but I hope you enjoy hearing from Mark as much as I did. Mark, I'm so excited to sit with you because I feel like, well, obviously we're from the same area down in Virginia, Maryland, that whole area. Um, But also because I feel like my career, I've seen you here and there. You performed at the ESPYs when I was with ESPN, right? So it's kind of like I've followed you for a really long time because I love the music, but finally I get to sit down and really chat with you, which is huge. You guys have so much going on and you're about to go on tour. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, We have been kind of like ships passing in the night, I think, in this career because we hear your name, we see you. Anytime someone comes from the area, you know this, You from Maryland, D.C., Virginia, you claim some ownership. Of, you know, if you feel like, oh, they, wow, ESPN, oh, that's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. she's from the area. And immediately, like, I like her, you know. So when we saw you recently at the gala. Yes, down in D.C. We were pretty excited about getting together. You mentioned the show, and I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm glad to be here. That was so much fun, the Leukemia Lymphoma Gala. Um, always great people down there, too. But So so I was reading stuff, and there's so much I want to ask you, because I know, like I said, you're about to go on tour. You've got the single right now that's doing really well, right? Yes. How's that been for you guys? Yes. You know, man, when we were younger, we had no expectations for radio. You didn't know. You had no idea. You put a song out there and, and hope for the best. You didn't understand the system. And if it did well, great. If it didn't, you didn't even know what was happening. And then in the middle of the, like, not career, but in the, that like 10 years in, you're really into the radio thing and your understanding. Of, Why? I don't know. You just find it exciting. All of a sudden you've had a hit song and you see how different that is. So you want yeah. to watch it really closely. And, and you end up being, you're not as excited about when things go well because you're so on top of it. And now we're at a point where if a song is doing well, it's just really a bonus. I'm not sitting there and crying about if something doesn't go my way anymore, you know, okay. music. 
So it's a great time to be in a band because any single song that does well on the radio is like a happy surprise. You're just not expecting it at this point. I mean, it's a weird feeling, you know, and, and it's kind of like when you started where you had no expectations, you were just making songs. Mm-hmm. We're kind of at that point again. It's really? Cool. Yeah. Like you're kind of like building back up, not building, yeah. but like starting. Yeah, Why? it's the weirdest thing. We had an arc a little bit of what we did uh, up until this point, And we kept having a lot of luck along the way, which because this is your ninth studio album. Yeah, right? ninth studio album. We probably had thirteen or fourteen total albums. We've which is insane to which me. Is insane. When, I mean, which but you guys have been together for twenty years, right? So twenty oh, years, God. thirteen or some albums, opportunities to make albums on labels in the quote unquote uh, real world of music, where you're actually working as a musician to pay your bills, right? So mm-hmm. to be able to do that for 20 years has been huge. Now to be able to do it at the scale with five to seven band members, 20 crew, bosses and trucks, it takes a lot, right? So when you're on the radio, you're not saying, this better do well or we're screwed. We're at the point where it's like, hey, if this does well, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, well, we'll give it another swing. I mean, it's a very lax way of looking at things because we feel like we've put in the work on the road where we can always go to the road. Okay. Like we can always go on tour, hopefully, and and do our thing. So all those other TV and radio and all those, they, so just, they keep happening, and it's just awesome. Like, we're enjoying it. When you tell me your song's doing well at radio, that just feels good. It used to bring anxiety, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Miss You All the Time, the one that's... So really Miss You on. All the Time is did its thing, and I think it's still doing something. Yeah. Knocking at Your Door just Isn't came it? out, and it's actually surpassing that song. So we're, huh. we're very lucky. Okay, so what? because this is the first time in five years, right, that you guys have done an album. So right. that also, I was like, oh, I want to find out about that. But also, but I'd take me back, because so high school, that's when you guys got together. That's when OAR was formed, well, right? I, we actually formed as a group in at the eighth grade talent show. So, oh my god! Yeah, so that's fantastic. Yeah, this is in um, Maryland. In Maryland, yeah. eighth grade, we're out oh there. Oh my god! I remember, you know, quote unquote, our auditioning for it. You had to play your song. I was in the hallway. I can still remember being there with Richard and Chris, and we we played a Pearl Jam song, and we did the show, and the fans. What song was it? Uh, what Pearl Jam? Porch. Okay. I was like a real. Bob, I am, Bob I'm a, my producer is. Like, yeah, I'm a oh, real yeah. Pearl Jam fan. I love them, and and uh, so we kind of. And this was Wooten High School. This was actually Frost or, sorry, Junior High, right? Fro- oh yeah. Okay. So we're in there. We do the talent show. We're hooked. Ninth grade comes. My brother asks, or the response. The response was, was like, great. People went crazy. Kids are screaming. Parents are clapping. I didn't know what. <laughs> this was amazing to me. Uh, and we go to the ninth grade, we play in the cafeteria at school. Then we play for a friend's talent show thing. You know, just these local things, birthday parties. And it starts to actually bubble. This is original music we're playing after, at this point. After the talent show, we just start writing and playing original music. And, okay, I don't want to break your train of thought. At the same time, are you doing sports? Or are you just like... So a, I'm still doing sports, yes. Sports is such a huge part of where we grew up. Everybody uh-huh. played lacrosse football, wrestling, hockey, whatever it was. Yeah, soccer was so big in where we were in Virginia. Right? Yeah. So we went and uh, play original music at the school and around. Started saying, hey, let's make a record. And eventually in high school, we record a record in Kensington, Maryland, in someone's basement, four songs. And then we did five songs shortly thereafter, put it together, sold it on tapes. What did you record it on? Tapes? Is that We recorded it onto tape in this person's basement. Like on a boombox? Reel-to-reel tape. 
Real, sorry. Okay. And no, no. And then we made copies of it on boom boxes. Yes, absolutely. We sold them locally. We finally got a little bit of cash to for a thousand bucks. You could get a thousand CDs made with disc makers. We went and did that. We sold them. Then we got a thousand more. Did you? Who was like them. the brains behind? Did you have someone that was guiding you guys or telling you what to do? So at this point in high school, it was the band. It was us and friends in our newspaper class. You know, we had Dave Whitoff, who would who wrote a great <laughs> article about us. Uh, our first article, Jed Tamarkin made our first logo. Oh my god! And these are all us in this newspaper class, and we created a sales rep program for our friends from the area. Would go away to college. It was common that people would go away to school. Um, and we would send CDs with them and say, give them away or sell them, whatever you can do. At your college. At your college. Oh, genius. And just give me the names of the people. I don't care if you send me the money. Yes, send me the money, great. But if not, give them away. Get me names. Get me. Uh, and so I have these books of just names, phone, and address of just tons of people from our generation. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah <laughs> barely any email addresses at this point, unless it was, you know, osu.edu. You know, these yeah. are less cool. And I'll tell you what, it spread like crazy. And then Napster was coming up at the same exact time. And we would get phone calls from, because I made a business card, we'd get phone calls. And they'd say, come to Vegas or whatever the school is and play. And we would go and play original music at parties. And it really worked out well until my brother, who was a business major, said, listen, I'd love to manage you. And he then managed us from that point to Madison Square Garden. And so it was uh, we were one of the biggest independent labels at such a young age. We had so much to learn. So when I told you about radio being a confusing yeah. space for us, we didn't know anything about anything. So it, you, anything you've heard about cliches about the, the label coming in, the radio, the managers, people trying to get you to sign things yeah. when you're 16 uh, at a barber shop, you know, like, hey, sign, sign this up, up with me. I'm going to get you famous. This all happened. Then the bad stuff happens, you know, everything. So it all started at an eighth grade talent show. Wait, so people were coming oh, in yeah. to do that? And then what did you what did you do when that I happened? Just, if someone came in. My to... father is a lawyer and he said, just don't sign anything. And he he started our S Corporation and then our drummer's father ran the sound department at a local Chuck Levin's Washington Music Center and provided us with production uh, advice. We watched the Dave Matthews Band in Virginia doing what they were doing. Oh, my God. I'm did. loving this conversation. You're <laughs> killing me here. This is so great. Are you serious? You, yeah. So that we watched that. You watched and, what they were doing in Charlottesville. And we, we teamed up with their people and went from there. So it was very calculated in the sense that we all grew up in a place that our parents said, we don't care what you do, but just do it. Don't go in there and, and want to be some flunk you know uh, musician flunky who's just pretending to be a musician look musicians out there and people on the road work hard they stand up they're stand-up folks they work really hard it's not like mm -hmm. they're on the corner uh lost in space it's just not like that so my folks told us that they said look look if you want to do it you can do it for the party or you can do it for the music and, and we really wanted to be a touring band with no expectations of fame <laughs> and that's just how we started and how we still are so is your favorite part of it the performing and the live part of it? Has that always been, is that kind of what you're saying? That it's so for me, right, the live performance has always been very therapeutic for me. I grew up in a place where I had two brothers. I had a very active household, and I needed my own little place to just be myself, and that was my basement. And I would write songs and, and record them on a little four-track and just... 
my folks were just supportive, and so were the other folks. And I lived in the same neighborhood as the drummer, and we were friends when we were babies. So this is all just a very, if the guy, whoever wrote the notebook, you know, <laughs> should write it about our band. And it's just this romantic story of a band from a neighborhood. Well, wait, we should do, do a documentary. Well, I, it's funny you should mention that. No, we're working on a lot of fun stuff to tell these stories. Like, for me, Dazed and Confused was the ultimate movie, right? So I grew up, I watched Dazed and Confused, I wanted to be Randy Pink Floyd. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And like this guy, my friend, wanted to be this one and this one. So we kind of grew up and emulated that life to the point where now we're starting to talk about writing a movie based on our experience that is kind of like the uh, Dazed and Confused of the 90s, because that's basically what we lived all based on this songs we would go play gigs in dc in high school to high school kids in bars like in the bayou the, we did the bayou and then the bayou shut down so uh -huh. then we went to a place called the spot which was next to the fbi building and i don't none of it was above board i mean i'm sure we weren't <laughs> supposed to be there right. but we would bring in hundreds of teenagers and they would oh we God. would have a blast and the parents were in on it and I'm jumping around a little bit, but you asked where it started, and it's it's a pretty deep story, so it's a no, lot. No, I think it's so, and you know what's fascinating, too, is like, just for people, you know, a talent show, right? It's like, who would have thought, you know, that, because everyone's, I can see so many people dreaming of that, right? That like. And that's what I always talk wow. about when we go to these, like, Garden of Dreams is this amazing foundation mm -hmm. linked with Madison Square Garden. Every year they have a talent show at Radio City. It's amazing. And all the kids are, are performing or dealing with challenges in their life. And that night, they're superstars. But what I always say to the folks who actually I would mentor or talk to, I'd say, you know, you can look at this as a fun night and you feel really good. Or you can look at this as the beginning of your career because that's what this could be. Because a lot of times we get up there at these talent shows and, and things of this and they think, wow, this is really cute and fun. I hope everyone had a really good time. But some of these kids really want to be performers, and that is their first taste of that. And if you can kind of say, hey, how did that feel? Well, well, why don't we go take some singing lessons, or let's go get some lessons on guitar. Keep that momentum alive. You never know where it will go. Mm -hmm. You see a kid on the baseball field, and he can hit the ball. Like, all right, do you want to do this for real? And if they do, you nurture that. You know, it's always, my uncle said, you know, about parenting when I was younger and I didn't have kids, I'd ask him, how do you deal with this? You're such a young parent. You're dealing with your own life right now, trying to figure it out. And, and how are you maintaining a household with children, with kids, right? He says, look, it's easy. What they like, I like. And I thought, <laughs> that's amazing advice because now growing up and having kids of my own, I know it's best to support them in what they're not only good at, but if they like it. So when I had my talent show and it went really well and I went home and I said, mom and dad, I'd really like to make songs in the bass. Go ahead. Mom and dad, for my 18th birthday, can you get me a four track? Because I really want to make songs. Go ahead. Mom and dad, I'm leaving college and I'm getting in a bus and we're going to open for Kid Rock for a week. Go ahead. You know what I mean? So it's like... <laughs> that's that, so awesome. And it's... Look, it's Right, not, you're right. So that that's what I learned really this, young. You know, um, that's actually why I we had to come into the city yesterday to surprise my husband at work for his birthday. And I'm not kidding. We listened to Al, Al, I'm Still Standing, right? The Elton John song, but the one from Sing. 
I counted. We listened to it 32 times. Right. 32 times. Yeah. Round and around because my son is obsessed with that song, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like that kind of thing. You just you do it, right? You just do it. Which is funny cuz he's at, he's at that age. That's his thing. It's like he just you play a song over and over. But then he likes hoops, which is awesome, right? So yeah, you're right. You see the kids at, at like hockey for me. I see him. Yeah. And there's kids who don't like it and their dads are up on the glass, right? Mm-hmm. Hardos just let's go. And I don't get that, but there's kids who love it, and and often you don't you don't see the parents yelling. They're not really. They're just happy to see them happy. I don't even care if my kid has a good or bad game as long as he tries, because mm-hmm. then I know he's into it. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. Is that you know I grew up in a place where I was supported to be a musician. I played sports. I did all the other things, but. Uh, I realized young that, that that really helped. That really helped. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a lawyer. They didn't have any music really? experience. Yeah, so they were wow. just cool, you so, know, and that's what it takes, I think. What's that been like for them, their reaction to all of it? Oh, it's been amazing. My mom, you know, she is from Atlantic City. She loves to dance, so she's loud and there. <laughs> and she's, she's from Atlantic City. <laughs> It's just a thing. I don't know. She's out there in I the clubs. It. Like she'll come, and I had to ask her. You know, we play with Matthews a bunch of times, and the first few times was a little nerve wracking. But my mom was in the front row da- doing her thing, dancing and yelling, and hey, I had to ask her, Ma, can you just move it back like forty rows? You know, <laughs> you're so supportive that we need to tone it down a little bit. Was so she because she, she was loud, or she was, she was just right there? <laughs> Right there. And uh, again, learning that there's a fine line and a fine balance to to keeping, maintaining that supportive system. You know, my folks have always been excited about it. My dad's very interested in the business side of things, Mm -hmm. what we're doing, what we're, who we're dealing with. You know, he always took care of our law, everything law. That's huge. So now that we're dealing with maybe entertainment law, that's not his thing. He still wants to know. And I find that really cool because it's something we can talk about, you know. Folks are very, my parents are very, very into it, very excited about it. That's so cool. It's funny when you say that because there are certain things, like my mom's really big on social media and sometimes like she knows, she knows my buttons. Like if I need, you know, if she thinks that I need a little boost in something, she's right there. But, you know, like at the moment that I'm like, oh, okay, let's calm it down a notch. Then I'm like, well, wait a minute. If she doesn't reach out, then I miss it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's that balance. It's funny. It is. Um, It's, It's nice that they give a crap. It is. You know. Two things you said. So wait, real quick, I want to hear so leaving college to go open for Kid Rock. Yes. What was that like? So I remembered it was May of two thousand and one. I had just graduated and from uh, from Ohio State University. Yeah. The Ohio State University. Yep. Uh, a few of us had graduated, the others were shortly behind us getting out of finishing school. And Literally, the next weekend, it was Music Midtown, Memphis uh, in May, and another big festival. So we'd never been in a tour bus. We get a tour bus. And you knew you were going to do music while you were at school? I mean, So yeah, we left high school doing with our sales rep program and our CDs and all this. We went to college. The summer after freshman year, we recorded our second album, did a similar program where we said, then we made a live album from DC at the 930 Club that became one of the biggest independent sold albums ever, double live albums. So we had like a gold record, all these great things were happening. And we then signed a record deal and all these things happened and we had yet to really get on the road. And 
we get a bus and it pulls into the neighborhood where we rented a house, the suburban suburban neighborhood where all these parents and kids and <laughs> us in a band. And the bus pulls in and we get in and we head out. And I don't know what order these shows ha- happened in, but they happened quickly. Some good memories and it went very fast. You know, I just remember in Atlanta, John Mayer walking on stage and playing a guitar solo. And I'm like, I know John, like we all knew John just from being around music, but this is just new to us that you're jamming on stage now with different musicians. And then Kid Rock goes on and there's dancers flying around. I mean, it just blew my mind. And I don't think we stopped touring from that point for a few years. I mean, four or five years straight from that point. We'd break and things, but it was pretty hardcore from that point on. So we were hooked. The Kid Rock thing was amazing because we were going to Atlantic Records. He was on Atlantic Records. Jason Flom had signed him. He'd signed us. We were in some sort of world we were new to, and we were the youngest band there. But we didn't know any anything was happening other than we were having a great weekend. That's how it always felt. We wanted to create an environment where it was just fun to be around what we were doing because we really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then we just didn't pay attention to the noise, you know, that I can remember that weekend because I wasn't nervous about it. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. We were how, in a band. Like how? how? I don't you know. know. That's what's so interesting to me. We were so closed off. We had our own little world of fan base that we'd created ourselves. So it was kind of like you didn't have to worry about it, right? We weren't trying you had to, your... Yeah, we weren't trying to impress anyone. That's like, that's kind of like Kane Brown. When I talked to him, what's interesting is he got his rise from social media and he did it all on his own, right? right. Like, which is so, while you're saying this, I'm like, okay, so that's kind of like the modern day version. Very similar. Right? The Napster. Yeah. Yes. And he said radio doesn't know how to handle him. Like, he didn't know they didn't. And he also gave a shit, didn't. You know what I mean? Because right. he was like, it doesn't matter because basically I've got these millions of people that are following me where I'm providing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. And times changed over the course of that where, you know, next thing you know, you're being asked to uh, be part of both sides of the Napster thing. You're being asked to be deposed or something. I, I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. what it was, but when Metallica was going off about it, we were kind of like, no, nah, we had no comment. We Napster did great things for us. <laughs> we had no yeah. negative things to say. I felt like wow, they're really not seeing this the way it's happening. The world is changing. The second you could get on your computer in Ohio and listen to any song you wanted and be exposed to new music that you'd never heard for free, changed the world. And that was it. And from that point on, the value of recorded music started to go down Mm -hmm. monetarily. But the value remained the same as far as qualities, right? So MySpace, all these other places where everyone could put their music out, but the cream still rose to the top. We just saw all these opportunities as opportunities. We didn't want to fight the wind. You know, we always would say when sharks, they don't stop swimming or they die. We just always felt that you have to change, you have to adjust. And that just has kept us moving along from the eighth grade talent show to being in high school to applying to the only, we only applied to Texas and Ohio State. <laughs> wait, you mean all of you? So wait, so, all of us. Wait, so this was like, was it a deal? Like you had to all go to the same place? The biggest school with the most bars, just to just to play shows. So when did you start having that conversation? Like, okay, guys, junior year college, of high school, and you were like, hey, hey, mom and dads, we're this is what we're doing. 
like so there was no option if not all of you got in then you weren't going to go two times that happened one was mom what about ohio state university it's got the most bars in this area right texas is the biggest college this one was the most people in a condensed area let's go there mom said fine you know uh she was pretty supportive of my schooling. I got the grades I wanted to get, but I did well on it on the SAT. So it was kind of she's cool. She's like, Great. yeah, yeah, do what you got to do. Uh, we all agreed. We said the younger gentleman who's a year behind us next year, you're going to come to Ohio State. He said, no problem. Uh, one of our guys transferred from a community college okay, to get there. Gotcha. Everyone went, and then Thanksgiving came a few years later, where you're sitting there and going, Mom, now we're leaving college and we're going on the road for real. And uh, and I point to my brother at the table and going, he's it's his idea and he's managing it. That was a little different. That was tough. Mom really? said you'll finish college and then you'll go. And then that's what I did. So there was some give and take, and she did have a lot of opinion, but it was always supportive. And then once we got out there, it was just a learning curve, man. I mean, everything. You go ten years thinking you're supposed to be in a crazy rock and roll band and do everything crazy and try to be nuts, and then you realize that that's not going to work for you after you're thirty you got to tone it down and focus on your music again. So we just kept, kept being afforded these opportunities to practice what we were learning. Mm -hmm. Whereas some bands get so large right away, they don't have the opportunity to incubate. We just yeah. were given all these, just saying we're going on the road. It's simple. It's like we didn't want to be famous. We wanted to go on the road. So we would go for a year. And that afforded us so much time to learn about music ourselves, the band, the business imagine if you were a professional football player but your career was 20 years in the nfl like what if everyone had 20 years and the first yeah. five years you got to learn yeah right right well and you, you know wasn't what? expected right and i think like that's a great point but also it's you've got to have the right character right because human nature is you want it now right or or sometimes right right i mean you're what you're saying is the opposite of that which i think is yes. so interesting but i think so many people you you're just like, okay, well, when? I know in our industry and in TV, it's like, okay, you're great. Local is phenomenal. Like, I had a blast in local. But then I'm sitting there like, okay, well, you know, what if there's not an opportunity to, to go and do ESPN or whatever it is, right? And in the end, does it really matter? It You you know, what I know now is it's like, you need to be happy. These are wonderful experiences. Right. I've had a great experience everywhere I've gone, but it's been, you know, now reflecting. I'm like, that is really cool perspective that you give because I have not heard anyone have that kind of path where they're just happy <laughs> like in every facet of it right we just we just really thought and it's and it hasn't been the happiest ride I mean there's been so many obstacles but I really believe that we just I don't know if it was our parents or somebody had told us somewhere early on that just aiming for fame is just not it's yep. just not gonna work it's just not gonna work i mean i remember the first time we were put on mtv sway didn't he did it from a remote in ohio he none of us knew what to talk about he was like what the <laughs> hell am i gonna talk because we just showed up we looked like we were going to class we were wearing the same thing we wore when we woke up to go to class and this is in the height of mtv we're, days like yeah sway's like ah, you know talking about how and mtv was big we just didn't know, and, and I, I don't know why. I mean, we were into Pearl Jam. We were into famous bands, but yeah. when I looked at Ed Vedder, I didn't see somebody who was trying to be something else. I just saw he was just believed in what he w did, and what we did was we were, 
I, you know, I was like, like we talked about earlier, sitcom dad. I was, that, yeah. when I was 18, I was a sitcom dad. I so just I, wanted to always be <laughs> down the middle. Hey, for context, happy to be your guy. <laughs> right, for context, I was saying to Mark and our friend Chris, we were talking to that I uh, was trying to convince my husband to have a third child. And I was thinking about the, when I grew up, my generation was, I was watching Growing Pains and Family Ties and those great shows that had these happy families, usually of like, what, four-ish kids, yep. roughly. So, and that's when you, Mark, said that, yeah, you're like the dad. You wanted to be that dad. Yeah, it sounds funny. We used to, people made fun of us on tour. We would be on tour with, you know, Ziggy Marley, Slightly Stupid, The Roots, this band, this amazing groups, all these different folks from different places. And uh, we would, they'd call us the cleavers of rock, you know, <laughs> not because we were straight edge or anything, but just because we were just this like, I don't know, hey, this is great. And then we kind of in the middle lost that a little bit we got a little too serious about everything oh, really? 10 years in you've made some records you're doing your thing you're making money you do, got buses all this. so you're like god damn we got to keep this thing going how do we do that you let's, get paranoid is that what happens no we just bit? got very serious about okay. how well how are we can do it we're going to put a record out every year we had a plan for everything and that's once you started to plan too much started to lose it a little bit and then we had a guy come into the group this guy called john lampley and John is now on the Stephen Colbert uh, Stay Human um, band with uh, oh, wow. Baptiste. Cool. So he's in our band. He's in that band. He's got his own band. But his attitude, he came out of the Ohio State marching band and onto our tour. He comes on tour and he sees the catering and he sees the sandwiches. And these are the best sandwiches I've ever seen. I can, I'm so thankful for this. Thank you to the catering. Thank you to everyone I'm seeing. Walks into a backstage and the, the water's set up really nice. And just go and find the person. Thank you so much for all this water. Wow. I've never in my life had this much water. And it just clicked. I was like, that's how we used to be. And that's how we are going to be again because we're happy to be here. We're so fucking lucky to be doing yeah. this. So grateful, right? Grateful. Like and just that's how it all started. Honestly, man, every time a crowd would be huge, we didn't even know it. I'm looking back at pictures now of the garden or Aragon or all these giant shows all over the place. And I'm thinking, wow, at the time I just thought, this is fun. This is super fun. I'm not sweating the ticket counts too much, you know? Mm -hmm. And we're back at that place now where everything seems to be going well. We're happy about it. And just not trying to micromanage everything so much, you know? Again, learning from people around us. Yeah. Not knowing everything, being cool with that. You know, life's pretty, it seems, um, simple. When I get heated up, I need to cool down. <laughs> when I'm a little too chilled <laughs> out, I got right? to light a fire under my ass. And it's like, it seems to be that that's generally how you got to run a band. If you go too far in either direction, the party way, I don't, the I don't care way, you're going to just keep on going, floating off into space somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you micromanage yourself into insanity, it's just not enjoyable. Why Why did you say that opening for Dave was, what was the word you used, a little... Um... Anxious. Yes. Why? The first time we opened for them, it might not have been the first time, but the first long weekend was The Gorge, um, which we've done twice with them. But the first time was interesting because... David's really nice. He always says, comes up and says, thank you, you know, for doing this and everything. You do have a nice chat. But when we walked out on stage, an entire row of his fans turned around and faced the other way. No. So I'm what? like, okay. All Why? Right, well, out of uh, protest, he's, his fans are really, um, or the band's fans are very protective of their band. 
And I guess they didn't want to see openers or us. <laughs> so they just <laughs> they stood there the whole time in, the, in a row. And, uh, oh, no. And my whole thing with that was I said, you know, listen, we got 40 minutes. I would say it on the mic. We got 40 minutes here. We're not leaving for 40 minutes. So either you can look that way or you can look this way. But we're going to do our 40 minutes. And by the end of it, they turned around. You know, we had Shoreline Amphitheater. We opened for uh, a few bands, and it was on this Sprite Liquid Mix tour. And there were fans going like this, off the stage, off the stage. And I would give them the same thing. I'd be like, look, we got 15 minutes. Yeah. And then we'll be out of your hair. And it wins them over. So I'm like, look, I'm just trying to do my job out here. So that was a little anxious in the beginning of the Day Matthews thing. But by the end of that weekend, it was it was all good. And from that point on, I mean, they... They're a great group to watch. <laughs> oh my God! The yeah. best live band in the world. I, I don't know that I've seen a better. God, live they're band. so. We saw them up in Saratoga. It was such a great show. Yeah. And you know what? What was funny is I was like, Oh my God! They've got like five songs that they didn't play, but they. I felt like they played all their great stuff too. It's like you realize how many songs you love. And that's a challenge. So you yeah. sit there, especially for him, who's got maybe he's doing a weekend of three shows, you know, and you you see the set list in the dress. You're like sitting there trying to figure out. What to play, what not to play, how to spread it out a little bit, and we, and we come to that now where you you have 150 songs that you've released or something. Some fans want to hear the ones they know from the radio or movies. They want to hear them. You know, they paid mm -hmm. their money, they got the sitter, they want to hear those damn songs. <laughs> you do 20 deep cuts, you're gonna have 100 fans that are gonna think you're the best band ever, and thank God the band finally. What's a deep listened. cut? So it's like the song that was never on the radio, right? It's okay. the song. Sorry, you're right. I no, 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 that, no, not at all. No, I didn't. I sorry. should explain that. You're right. It's a, a song that's on the album that maybe a true fan or not true fan, but hardcore, hardcore. fan would want to hear. Bob, my producer is dying over here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Feel free to jump They don't want to hear your <laughs> right. hits. Right. But we want to hear them. And so we want to play them. And 90% of the audience wants to hear them. So you, there is a sort of dance that you have with your set list with your audience that Got we, it. we okay. change every night. We never we have an intercom system on stage that we can make changes while we're on the move. Again, it's always led by the the vibe, the feeling. I learned that from Bob Marley and the Whalers. You know, when we wanted to learn about the Whalers, we or Bob Marley, we would, you know, Junior Marvin, his guitar player, came and played with us for a while, you know, and he's on the live record and stuff. It's just so that we would learn from the people that really lived it so everything we've done we've tried to learn from someone who knew better so if we were going to play reggae music we didn't want to just go out there and play reggae music we wanted to learn from the folks who were there it's really smart you know, the drummer of the whaler drummy zeb come to our basement and teach us how to play one drop for real mm -hmm. when i say for real it's because it's a pulse that was originated in a neighborhood to move people with sound machine uh, sound systems so you can't just go out there and play reggae music and put on an accent and try to be interesting. It's just not real. So in that sense, we wanted to bring in the folks. So everything we've done along the way has always been learn from the people who know, mm -hmm. take what you can get from that, and then add your own flavor to it. And now I feel that we're at a point where we might be able to pass something down, hopefully, to the next groups coming up. You know. So why um, why did you guys have five years before making another album? In the last five years, we had somewhat of a greatest hits album come out. Okay. That was a contractual thing with 
I think Concord or Vanguard Records, I don't know what they call themselves today, but it was something <laughs> where we had to put it out. And then I said, that sounds really fun, and I want to do that, celebrate 20 years in the game and all that. But we need new music. So we created this uh, TV show called Evolution of a Song that came out on Quello, which is like Netflix for music. And it was about bringing cameras in. To the say, process? Say you're oh, in I Nashville. Right? Yes. So we're in Nashville. It's me, Nathan Chapman, Blair Daly, all these guys and girls, and we're sitting around and we write a song from conception. I mean, we don't have any words, no ideas. They film us. It's very, I don't love being on like film in those situations. It's very vulnerable. But again, got to make it interesting. And we wrote a song. And the song ended up doing really well. So that drove that project about three years ago, four years ago now. Peace had come out just before that. I love that song. Thank you so much. And uh, and this is kind of five years after Peace. So in between, okay. there was a bunch of stuff going on, but not an official radio push. Sure. Right. So there's a lot of different worlds in music, as I'm sure in your world, where everything you're doing, you're always working. But yeah. as far as major releases, it, it appears to be every five years, you know. Got it. And I mean, and sometimes in that downtime, not that it is downtime, it's like when you can really focus and do stuff that you're super passionate about, right? Yeah. Wait, so where did that go, the project with the songwriting? Yeah, so it did really well. It went on this thing called Quello, yeah. which is, they describe themselves as a kind of a Netflix for music. So they have a lot of music documentaries on there. And it was on there, and now it's on Amazon. Awesome. So it also, check it out. It's very interesting. I mean, if you want to watch some folks that are literally writing a song in Nashville at a level that, you know, you have an hour and a half and that song became a single and, wow. and a yeah. video and did a lot of stuff for us. And uh, it was a fun experience. I have learned from that. And now whenever we're making anything on film, I have that experience. Peter Harding, the director, did the whole thing. He did a great job. Wow. Um, what is the song for you that means the most to you? So for me, these songs are, like I said, uh, therapeutic. Yeah. Along the way, the I first... read that you said that. So that why why is that a theme for you? I think when I grew up, I listened to Crowded House was the first band I loved, and then Pearl Jam. But all along the way, I only really listened to a few artists: Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, maybe Phil Collins and Genesis and things like that. Oh, yeah. Right along the way, but I really just only focused on a few artists because I was always connected to the story. I always felt what they were saying. I didn't even mm -hmm. hear too much. I just felt it. So I thought, when I make music, I want to feel better leaving than when I got there. So every single night, the whole day, maybe I've been dealing with not being home or, or something great is going on at home. Maybe it's all good. And I still need two hours to just kind of exercise up there. But it's always provided me with clarity after I'm done. Writing, recording, performing. I always feel better, like after a workout. So okay. when I'm writing songs, I'm not ever going to sit in there and go, what sounds, what what rhymes with lemon? Uh, I got to find something <laughs> that rhymes with lemon. You know, <laughs> right, right, it's just right. not like that. I just write down pretty much in prose just what i'm doing what my life is like what's going on the first song i wrote was cancer life because my grandma had cancer mm -hmm. i didn't understand it mm -hmm. cancer life been bringing me down i mean it's it's such a basic thing to write but i was 12 mm -hmm. and immediately i would i would be emotional when i heard that 
uh, song when we would play it. And so I thought, wow, I want to I do that again. So mm-hmm. then I wrote a song called I Feel Home because I'm sitting on the trunk of a car looking at my friends in the field talking about this dark driveway that we're on. And it's just lyrics. Well, then that song I ended up playing at the funeral of the kid that I wrote it with because he got no way. killed, right? So instantly there's this real side of what I'm writing. So it's always been therapeutic. It's always taken on different forms as I've moved along. So when I write... It's kind of flowed through you. Like it's it, flo- just it just happens. It just happens. That's so cool. I mean, it's a lot of work to make it sound good. Right. And I think that's why I love to team up and collaborate with amazing producers and and, and co-writers mm-hmm. to bring the best out of you. But, I mean, the feelings have always got to be real. It's always got to be genuine. You know, Miss You All the Time, for instance, is a song that was written about someone who got killed uh, in D.C., after just speaking with them, you know, and just maybe How not calling happen? them back quick enough. So it's got Billy Mitchell, great kid. We grew up, uh, all of us together in Rockville. Great guy. Uh, had been through a lot emotionally, I think, that we none of us knew about. But really great person deep down and tough kid. About my size, not a big guy, but tough. So he was leaving the theater. He had taken his mom out to the theater that night. He dropped her off. He's getting out of the sub, the metro. And a girl is coming out of a convenience store and a guy is coming after her, mm-hmm. giving her the business. She's essentially, the guy says, give me 20 bucks to Billy. Mm-hmm. Billy's like, no, nah, I'm good. Starts to realize what's happening here. She's trying to call the cops. He, the guy's harassing her. He knocks the phone out of her hand. Billy says, don't do that. The guy shoots him. So it's kind of one of those situations where he's defending a stranger, being the same guy he always was, tough as nails, and he went down for it. So I never knew how to... And leading up to that, we'd had a lot of passing, like, hey, I'm coming to visit. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. And I was not getting back to him. I was Got not it. embracing the fact that we needed to connect. He knew it. And he had done this not just with me, but other friends too, right? So um, I'm not special in this. I'm just saying this was our, our life. And I learned that day that, you know, call people back. You know, yeah. if they're trying to connect with you, uh, you, should, you should connect with them. But I didn't know how to deal with it for years. And I finally just said, you know, I, I'm just going to write it the way I feel it, you know, I the lyrics you know that I don't like to say goodbye. I didn't. I didn't know that we were out of time. Mm-hmm. So you're just writing how you feel about these things because we all experience loss. And in my experience, I can't bottle it up. I got to get it out there. I know that when I'm singing it, somebody out there feels the same way. So that's that's what the stories are. They're always coming from a place of maybe not only my life. James is a song we have where our saxophone player's grandfather died of emphysema. He sees out all this music. He said, can you write some lyrics? I said, what do you want it to be about? He said, my grandfather, you know. I said, well, how'd he die? Emphysema. I said, okay, so breathe, breathe deep for me, James. You know, and you just wow. write what what makes sense to you and makes me feel something. It drives me crazy. I see these songs sometimes and people just, it's obvious that you're you're writing what you think people will like. Yeah. And I just, every time I've done that, it's been a colossal failure (laughs) you know (laughs) what is it like for you on the road now versus when you were talking about starting out you know in that time when you were touring so much but now because now you've got three at home yes kids right and um has that been kind of crazy oh it's been and do you take them with you ever so i'm lucky that 
the kids are always willing to come and hang out. They're very understanding with dad's got to do meet and greets. I got to do all this stuff, you know, and they love catering and they love all the fun <laughs> snacks and all the toys yes. and everything. So we do make it fun, although they can't come out a lot. They do make it to, uh, you know, Boston or L.A. or something that's cool. going to be really big. Yeah. And I wish I could take them everywhere, but I can't. It has been difficult, obviously, for obvious reasons. Anytime anyone goes to work, it's hard mm -hmm. to be away from your kids. But it's been a huge arc. I mean, I just, again, it is what it is. You, you, you know, care for what you wish for. I knew that I wanted to be in a touring band. I didn't want to be in another kind of band. And I knew that. So yeah. when we started out, we were having fun. Then we thought, well, we're in a rock and roll band. We better have a lot of fun. So we went into a lot of fun zone for a few years, which I honestly <laughs> don't even, it's not that I don't remember. remember. It's not the cliche like, I don't remember. I literally don't remember. There's a few years where apparently some of the boys told me I was singing every song like I was Dylan, and I would just sit there and be like, no, 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 like monotone. I don't remember that tour. <laughs> so we did that for a while, and then, you know, some things happened in the in our world that made us realize again how lucky we were and it just refocuses you and now we're in the zone where we're going out and doing 50 shows this tour uh because we want to mm -hmm. we really want to we want to be home all the time too but this is who we are i think in a way uh we make songs so we have to Super go do cool. that you know um, and I, so I know that you somehow you flipped to be a Rangers fan, yeah. right? I mean, was that prior to the Capitals winning yes. the Stanley Cup? <laughs> Unfortunately, like, like, that happened. So, Mark, they, like, so I grew up Caps fan on the glass with my dad. Uh, season tickets, we'd go Capital Center, back Cap in the Center, day. Yeah. back in the day. Some of my best Caps memories are Tuesday nights. 7.35, 7.05 start, you know, something like that. And I'd get to go with my pops and watch some hockey. That was a great memory for me. And coming up, I always loved hockey. I didn't realize that I loved the grind of hockey, the players, more more than the game. Like the stories The of stories. Them? Yeah, that's interesting. When I came to New York, somehow years went by, and all of a sudden I was in the same world as a couple players in the neighborhood, kids, you know, you're Got in the it. world, you're in the playroom. It's not, you know, I'm not, I don't even know what they do. They don't know what I do. But eventually, we start to figure out what each other do for a living. We start to talk about it and start to see the similarities between the grind to get to professional sports and the grind to get to professional, quote unquote, touring mm -hmm. band, full-time type deal. Really similar in the fact that at some point in time you need to decide that that's, that's what you do and it's a culture and you have to commit to the culture. Yep. Right? Yep. And then that's what it is. So when I got closer to that and I started to understand the players and what they went through to get where they are, they were Rangers. We had played MSG and been welcomed into that building by the, by the leadership <laughs> of that it. building. We've been in the hallways and just in that place and and it became something that meant a lot to my wife who's a huge hockey fan my kids and all everybody we just became part of that msg family so to be around the rangers was amazing in that i was never starstruck at all i was always just like wow i can relate to having to commit to that culture 
You want to be a musician, be a musician. You want to be famous, fucking do something else. Mm-hmm. None of these guys want to be famous. It's not what they are intending to do. Maybe one in a few or superstars, you know. These guys are in it to play hockey. That's it. And to do I what love they love and the way they've done Doing what they love. And grown just, up. And my respect level is through the roof for the sacrifice uh, to get to that point is beyond. I mean, it's a 1% of the 1% of those folks who get from college into the pros. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you were using an analogy before about football, I think, and you said something about imagine if they had 20 years or whatever, whatever it was that you said. And in that moment, I was thinking, God, it still always blows my mind that three and a half years is the average for an NFL player, right? I mean, it's just... It's, it's insane. Right? And you hear these 29-year-olds who are making the right decision to retire. Yeah. They say, I want to live a life, but I'm going to retire right now. And I forget who I was watching recently. He said, doesn't that sound weird? I'm retiring at 29. What, what am I supposed to do? And how am I going to get there? And There's a lot of musicians at 29 who had to say, wow, what am I going to do now? Because mm-hmm. it's when the CDs and albums went away, you have to adjust. Now imagine if a football player yeah. had was given five years to just get your shit together. And then from five to 10 years, you were graded on your performance. Right, right. I mean, it would be amazing. We were we were given this opportunity. Just I don't know why. So people say, "Well, it's it's pretty impressive. You lasted twenty two, twenty three years, or whatever." I say, "Well, we just lucked out to have time to work. We didn't we didn't get famous right away. We never had commercial success until ten years into our career, mm-hmm. where we kind of knew how to handle it a little bit. But so I do see the grind of these athletes, and I I see in hockey specifically the schedule. Like baseball, like any, I mean, mm-hmm. baseball, forget about it. But hockey yeah, guy, yeah. man, on the body, on everything. I just am a huge fan of hockey players. So I'm a Caps fan as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I think that's kind of BS. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you are. I know, um, it's bad. I know. I, it's like it's like the Redskins thing, too, where grew up a Skins fan. Uh-huh. And, and now I'm Me just kind of confused. Like, what are you? NFL fan. But you're not, I mean, you're still on that bandwagon, right? Or are you I go still to Skins there? Games. You do. I was going to ask you that. How Absolutely. many do you, what do you I usually do? I go to Skins do? Games. I have an amazing friend, Lee Becker, who is always kind enough to share his area of the stadium with us and let us come. <laughs> it sounds like a good area. <laughs> it's a good area, but um, Meatly. Um, I, love, uh, I love football and I love the sport, but I'm just trying to identify with the Skins because what I identified with was RFK. Yeah. What I identified with was this the this uh, bleachers shaking yeah. and my butt being freezing cold and the pad the little cushions they'd give you when we won the Super Bowl. You know, and and the Coke cans and I remember all that. In the 90s and, and grinding it. And then I just kind of lost the identity of the skins for a while to be honest. Mhm. Am I am I way off here? Well, I think they're still looking for it. Yeah. Right? So. I mean, maybe they found it a little bit I with think, Dwayne Haskins, yeah. maybe. I don't know. What the do you Buckeyes. think about that? Well, yeah, I feel yeah, great about yeah, that. You know, I've got... <laughs> yeah. It gives me an opportunity to maybe come back and... Uh, I, I, I I, don't know. I just I just really want... That stadium for me... Yeah. It just needs some sort of family vibe. It needs to be... I wish it was just closer. I wish it was squeezed in a you little bit. It's too, right. You too want wide. more that intimate kind of mm-hmm. rocking out. Yes. Football rocking out. Yes. Um, I've been to some Ravens games that are pretty exciting. <laughs> now you're pissing off a lot of people. I'm just fucking around. But, you know, no, no. I think, um, but they, the other thing is like injury. Oh, you know, and I, there is, at some point it starts to feel a little bit of bad luck, right? Because yeah. they just had another injury. Yeah, it's been linebacker. crazy. Um, yeah, so 
Well, it's hard. It's hard when you're a fan, too, to stay. <laughs> She's so mad. Well, like, I'm just thinking, <laughs> no, you know, because it's like you, you start to go down a rabbit hole of it, talking about it, right? But yeah. I guess I guess one um, positive is that there always seems to be a little hope. And yeah. until that hope goes down with injury or there's some issue, you know, that yeah. comes up, maybe there's still hope. I don't know. What so, is your hope for this upcoming season? Do you have any? I, I actually I actually feel really good about it because I know folks who are a lot smarter in, in football IQ than me who are excited. Really? Yes. Good. And good. folks that are calling me and going, let's go. Let's watch some skins this year. Because I, I, I have been kind of just down. I, I go hardcore hockey or hardcore somewhere else when I just don't feel like the love at, at the NFL. I just think that the product is so great to watch on TV that NFL. when I yeah. go to a stadium, I want to be in on the experience, and I just want the Redskins to kind of work on that experience. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. That's kind of how sometimes it's hard for me to watch, like, the Super Bowl. If you're not there, I kind of just prefer to watch it by myself or with my husband or whatever, but just in a closed environment where you can just soak it all in. Yeah, I've been to right? Super Bowl events that are killer. I mean, Indianapolis, for example, oh, was killer. great city, yeah. I, look, it was a little rainy, we're playing in the streets. We had an amazing experience. Oh, yeah. It was That's... awesome. They did, and I felt like, damn, this product is good. Mm-hmm. I felt right on top of it. Been to a lot of Super Bowls, and I've always felt good about it. I just like, I really hope that, you know, arena sports, again, basketball as well, you know, they're always trying to bring people closer to the game, mm-hmm. bring them into the game. I want to hear what, what's happening. Yeah. I think football is trying to do that as well, right? I mean, it's hard to compete with those television cameras. Yeah, they want you need access. It's all about access, and I think it's also to some extent in a lot of different things about relatability, right? I mean, I think that's what makes yeah. – when I was doing sports and I used to think about that all the time, like if there's someone who's a guest – once they say something that you know maybe they haven't shared before or that is something that the person at home is like, oh, I do that too, you know, that's the way that fans get hooked, right? And so that that is pretty much what sums up our band. The fact that we're in on it. Mm-hmm. When we get to go do something, it's the get-to thing. I, I met an engineer in Nashville who worked on our record. He had this tattoo on him that says, I get to. I said, what's the deal with that get to? He says, well, where I grew up in Mexico, it was a tough place. You know, we never thought that I'd get to live out my dream of working in a Nashville studio as an engineer, an assistant, any level. So when he was there, he wrote, I get to. His attitude toward music was always, I get to, not I have to. Oh, I got this gig I got to go to. Oh, I got to go do this session. It's like taking forever. This drummer can't do this. This guy can't do. No, I get to, I get to do my dream. So we're in on it. Yeah. We're out there talking about it. When we mess up on stage, we talk about it. When when it's just it's there. We're we're wide open. So I think people feel and our saxophone player Jerry always puts it well. He says the guy in the 10th row feels like he could be the guitar player. Awesome. Awesome. You know, because we always felt that it's just not we're not playing at anyone. We're just playing with. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of that stuff. And and I think in sports that's really important. As you know, team is everything, mm-hmm. uh, and that's growing up in sports. That was the best thing. I, individually, wrestling was a huge. That's what I did. My oh, growing wow. up, wrestling was everything. Still a team sport, but it's an individual yeah. thing as well. But I always learned the team thing, um, the get to thing. 
And that's what I think keeps our band alive and, and around is that we're in on it. We get it. We're, we're, we're not expecting to be mm-hmm. here or MSG or Red Rocks. or Every time we're at Red Rocks, we, I mean, I bring home a little plaque and I put it up with 10 other of them. And I'm like, damn, I can't believe this happened. I remember every single one of those, you know. Wow. Yeah, just because, you know, you got to. It's, uh, and that's with athletes. I, I look at these athletes and I, I can tell they work so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and they, like they deserve every penny. That's another thing. It's like baseball player, every play, they get these large contracts. They deserve every penny of it because what it brings, the joy it brings to families. Yeah. It does you bother know? me when people when people talk negatively about that, about like, Georgia oh, well, Craig. this guy gets, yeah, you know. So but what? It's, what does that have to do with you? <laughs> you mentioned tattoos. What's the one on your, it's 627. So, you yes. I have uh, one of my kids' names. This 627. So this will date me for sure. Uh so pagers <laughs> like you mean the ones that you carry around you know you remember like these pagers that used to beep <laughs> for those uh, that don't know listening yes, there were these small there were things little, called pagers yeah. that doctors used <laughs> with uh, a clip on, on your belt. ER and mm-hmm. Clooney made them famous and then humans in real life would get them <laughs> and they would be like neon see I went from black t- ones to like the see through yeah. which was like whoa and it was big I never had one I kind of I wanted one but I oh, think I kind of so just missed it my wife uh, her code on pager on our pagers was 627 oh my god that is the best story <laughs> oh my god that's so sweet and in on a phone it's nas nas is her name and uh, it's also oar i didn't know that but that was another nice thing 627 so that's it. It's just a reminder. I like I tattoos as reminders. Like when I'm playing guitar, I can see them and stuff. And uh, That is such a sweet yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's 10 times better than what I thought. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, but I, I have to think of some funky like, that's my jail. Uh, that was my cell. <laughs> yeah. you know, like if I'm feeling threatened, that's my cell number. Oh, my goodness. The only time I've ever been in jail is I was pulled over on the side of the road going to Maryland. Yeah, I, I heard about this. No, you didn't. The How'd license you hear- plates or whatever. How'd you hear about this? I think maybe I read a bio. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I pray it is not out there somewhere. That's I read so it. <laughs> funny. Oh, no, I need to find out where that is. Yeah. My face is bright red. I You remember George Michael, Sports Machine? And I, which, I, okay, growing up in D.C., oh. I mean. I mean, he's the man that hired me to come to D.C. Yes. And our whole thing was, I mean, truly, he was the best mentor I ever had. He kicked yes. my butt. He was he's amazing, though. He was. And he... Our our history, like with how I got to DC, was a little bit. It's one I look back on now, and I'm like, man, like thank God he still. Because I initially turned that job down, and then I decided that that I knew instantly I had made the wrong decision, and so it took me through this like three month thing of, am I going to call him back? Is that awful? My dad's like, that's you know, like that's awful. You don't do it, but I I literally couldn't sleep, and I knew oh. that it was such a great gig and a great opportunity. But I had I was staying in Miami because they were they were promising so much, and it was a really good station. It was a lot of fun, but I I was like, this was the wrong call. Anyway, my point is, so eventually I end up there, and I was driving to Maryland to do a press conference to report on it. <laughs> And they and there's you know a long line going back through those roads like kind of where it's still a neighborhood, yeah. You know, and I had expired tags on my car. My fault, totally my fault. But one thing leads to another. They pull me over, and next thing I know, there are handcuffs. And I, Holy it hell. was the worst experience. And I, but the, the thing that mortified me the most 
was that it was literally like my second week on the job. And oh. I had to call George Michael and say, George, I'm not going to make it to that press conference because <laughs> I've been arrested. Like, what do you say? And it was the dumbest thing. So the moral of the story is take care of your shit. You know, don't let yeah. stuff expire. But I still don't think it was right that they took me down. I mean, I had, you know, I had a mugshot. I, had, I got put in a jail cell for like, it was probably an hour. And then I, um, I left. They gave me this Oof. little bag right there in D.C. <sighs> Isn't that so dumb? Yeah, like, yeah. I have, I, have a sem- I have a dumb one too. <laughs> I have a dumb one too. It's a terrible feeling because you think it's uh, you know it's a terrible feeling. It makes you feel pretty uh, pretty shitty. Yeah. But that situation almost adds to like the just the magical uh, you know being on the sports machine and just having to do it this does. and you're looking back at the story <laughs> and it's not just well I showed up we did a press conference I got the job and then. I bet you George was like, this is better. No, no that's he, good. He, he really helped me out, and he was the best. No, I had to do a similar shimmy. I had a even, <laughs> even worse gaffe, like doing interviews af, uh, after we gained some success. Mm-hmm. I'd be like talking to a Columbus newspaper, or <laughs> I was talking to Wall Street, just some major paper that the Columbus paper picked up on about how, oh, we used to rent out this venue called the Newport, and... Um, we rented out on their worst night when they were closed and we'd take cash from all these kids at the door and we just kept the cash and we would just buy whatever, you know, stuff. And, and I just <laughs> was open, wide open about how we don't pay taxes. I don't know what that is. Da, 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 da. Well, sure as shit. Ohio calls my, my, uh, whatever business manager and he's, oh my they, God. we had to go back and pay tax. And they, he said, don't ever comment <laughs> on these things again i mean here i am but we already paid it so it's all good but yeah yep so now i'm like oh maybe we shouldn't have shared that no that's so funny no that's, no I'm that's, I'm uh, what's, that's crazy what's, what's the, it's been too long rule oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you get a grace period right um, okay so wait so what's what would be your and i, I always like to ask people this yeah. um super bowl moment and by super bowl i meant like the if you, you know, you winning the Super Bowl, like what would that be in your world or your sphere for you? So in a, with a football analogy, mm-hmm. my favorite thing is obviously like most people is a long drive at the end, right? Tom Brady special, right? Yes. Just stuff like that. I would love to be the architect of something like that. I grew up playing quarterback, reached a point where I was not tall enough to see over the line. I mean, I'm 5'8", but I'm not 6'3". So okay. when you're playing in high school and then you're on varsity and you're like trying to play, it's just not happening. So I always said, if I could just, you know, get in a couple and be able to uh, be the architect of some of these drives, just because I just, I like to say in music and in business, I like to see the whole field, you know, and what mm-hmm, we're doing, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can't really fight everybody. You got to see beyond that. Maybe because I could never see beyond that, so I always wanted to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why. That was a little <laughs> therapy there. But um, I've always wanted to kind of be at the helm for something like that, where you're, no one expects you to win and be able to do one of those. Uh, you know, Tom does it magically, um, but I think I would like to be in that kind of situation. So what would that be in your world and music? Would there be something that could equate? Yeah, we've been in that position quite a few times, I think, where... You, when you do shows with pop stars and you're not a pop star and you're doing your thing, you do feel like you're punching up when everyone's looking at you because um, they don't know you. Like, why are you here? This happens a lot in your career when, when 
no one expects anything from you. We get out there and we play and we do our thing. And we always leave there feeling better than when we got there. And I know that the audience feels the same way. So I've been in those positions and I love that. I love punching up. I like being, have, no one having expectations or even negative expectations of who we are and what we do. A lot of people have misconceptions about who we are. They hear one song from us and they think we just drink beer all day. <laughs> go to frat parties and I'm the 40-year-old dude at the frat party. It's just not like that, right? <laughs> so I like that people don't really get us and that your opportunity to show them who you are is your music. It is kind of funny that they don't cuz you I mean a lot of people if you even google it's like what are they? Are they are they a Christian band or they do you oh, know what yeah. I mean? Like oh, they're yeah. people think you're a lot of different things. Right, because which we, is interesting to me. We just never had the opportunity to brand ourselves specifically as anything. We were OAR. It was just this ambiguous name. I mean, what, what is that? Is that a company? Uh, is it OR? Is, what is this? And we never helped explain it to anyone. We never said, this is what we are. So what, are, what is OAR? And where I did that, who came up with we that? Are, I, I came up with it because at the time I was writing like a short story uh, called The Wanderer. I, I transferred out of high school to overseas to do high school over in uh, the Middle East with a couple of, uh, of the guys and wrote this story called The Wanderer. And in it, there's a sentence called of a, something of a revolution. And I'm a real artsy-fartsy guy, so I'm like, <laughs> we're blank of a revolution. That's our name. Then we shortened it to OAR because obviously no one knew what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> uh, and, and then they called us OR. Mm-hmm. And we never really tried to change that. We put periods in the O and the A and the R. And it didn't work. So it was always ambiguous. People knew of us, never knew what we looked like. There was never like, that's the guy from the band. Oh, you know, it's never like, it's just they see OAR, they hear a poker, they hear a song. Yeah. And over the years, we've grinded and grinded and built ourselves some sort of existence where I think our identity is that we're like a band of brothers. And we're a family, and we're out there making songs, and we're a team. And that's what we do. And sometimes we'll do a song that is a sweet song that makes you cry. Oh, yeah. Because it makes me cry. Yeah. And sometimes we're doing a song for a video game. You can't nail us down because we never nailed us down. It's not, you know. Which goes against what's the word I'm looking for? Conventional thinking, right? Like, you know, branding and right? No, I could never go in there that they say, I want to be the next somebody. Who, whom, whomever, it's, it just was never a thing. I found myself navigating a dad website when I was researching and trying to get some more thoughts about talking to you, and I, I stumbled upon, I go through, my God, oh. and I found myself crying on my train. I'm like, so that was the one we, we wrote on the TV show. So they came into the got room. Got it, okay. My, my kid, I left the house, he FaceTimes me. Oh, kills, I can't even talk about it. It's in the video, and, and, and uh, he says, Dad, when are you going to retire? And he was like five or six. And I couldn't, I was like, I don't think I'm ever, I don't know how to tell you this. So that's what I wrote the song. Oh, yeah. So it's, through. and it's, and yeah. the video, the video, yeah. if you watch the video, it is, I mean, because it's you. about, yeah, and it's moments and memories and families. And I can't, I, I'm stopping to talk about it now because I can see it's this. Rough, it's rough, man. It's it rough. It is. It's, it's just because uh, it, it's like how fleeting it all is, right? It and really just, is. I mean, look at Howard Stern. He's out promoting his book now. And one of the quotes I read coming back from him was that, you know, he's learned a lot over these years of, of what he missed. 
with his daughters. Oh, you right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just refuse. I've I, I choose to to have time with them, but it's never enough, and it's mm. never gonna be the same as anyone else. But it's never. I'm not serving in the military and gone for 15 months. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just is what it is. So I want my kids to know that it is what it is. This is not life is uh it's it's real. You know, you just got to you just got to face it, and make the best of it. That's what I go through is about, you know. Yes. So it's hopefully like you leave a legacy. Hopefully you leave behind something that can get a kid to want to express themselves and that may mean on the field may mean shooting hoops five hours a day because mm-hmm. you know they feel better yep you know they yep. feel better when they get to do that yep like my right? son he loves basketball so it's again it's learning like what they like i like it's simple simple stuff my dad man he just he would say the same five lessons <laughs> my whole life that's life in the big city he would tell me if anything went wrong in my life, Dad, this kid's mean to me. Dad, I lost 20 bucks. Dad, I got beat up. Dad, that's life in the big city. It was never, oh, Mama, I'm so sorry. Does your eye hurt? You know? Mm-hmm. And then he had four other things he said. So it's like I learned from a guy mm-hmm. who had few lessons. They were all very specific to just this is what it is. You got to either, you know, treat people right or you treat people wrong. Be a gentleman or don't be a gentleman. Cheat or don't cheat. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. This is simple things. We, we, we dilute everything and we make them very confusing with all these other reasons. You, I, goddamn uh, self-help on the internet. <laughs> Holy hell. I mean, there seems to be so much conversation about very simple things. Don't be a dick. <laughs> right. I don't need seven pod, uh, like, about how not to do that. It's just, like, really simple. Yeah, yeah. And that's just it. And I think, you know, and I learned that the hard way. It's not like I'm uh, mm-hmm. saying that I made all the right choices. I definitely made a ton of wrong choices, and we all did. But in general, we, we just get it. It's life in the big city. You, you get to do this, you know. That's awesome. And the moral of the story is take part in your talent show. <laughs> right? The moral of the story is absolutely take <laughs> no, part okay. in your talent show. Meanwhile, our kids just had one last weekend, and I, I didn't. they weren't in it this year because there's <laughs> – a little too much drama, though, at these things. Holy oh, hell. Oh, is there like, really? Yeah. Stuff's changed, man. Yeah, I'm sure. Of, it's just like those day, hockey dads. No parents allowed. We, the kids, the parents were kept so far out of the talent show and the kids' lives That's at true. school. That's true. For ours, I think so, too. I grew up in Virginia. Yeah. The parents and were never in the school talking. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? Like, knowing what Susie did that day with, with Tommy and Tommy's a dick to this one. And da, 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 they didn't, it was like. I do draw no. the line, though, like at school bus violence. You know what I mean? Or like bullying on that, you know. Oh, no. I'm, I'm nervous about that. Oh, I'm, are you kidding? I'm in the school all the time. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm chaperoning every single thing. I know what Susie and Tommy are up to. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying my parents didn't. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah, all right. To be clear. Mark, part oh, my of the God. Problem. This is so much fun. I could talk for two more hours, but unfortunately, we have to let you go. Um, Good luck on your tour Thank and, you. and the start of it. Thank New you Hampshire is where you're starting, New Hampshire, is that right? And then, it's um, a great place. Moving on from there, PNC and Sweet. New York, Boston, all over the place. Come check it out. I'm okay. so glad we did this. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Um, and it's so impressive what you've accomplished. And oh, God. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, for real. Likewise. I mean, listen, we're all fans of the sports world. To be able to discuss it for more than five minutes <laughs> without 
Son, I'm so glad that you didn't make me talk about sports for more than five minutes because all I could go back to the four we, I mean, I we can. I just got sidetracked because your whole story is so fascinating. And again, sorry for rambling, but it it's is... It's no ramble. Uh, it's just... it's You know why? Because these two worlds are so connected and the themes that you talked about are exactly what I have found from athletes for so many years and it's what I find so fascinating, right? Well, and that's what you're doing. I mean, you're drawing that line and I think, you know, that's why these guys that come around to the shows and maybe play some sports are interested in what the guitars are doing well yeah. what's this guy doing fixing all the guitars they want to know and then when we go to the event uh, football wrestling mm -hmm. whatever it is we want to know about the production side of it we want to know about the practice i went to the the minnesota wild let me skate on their ice and i was fascinated with the difference in the ice of a nhl rink oh really i mean it's and someone out there listening will know what I'm talking about. It's different. It's faster. It's not as easy to operate on. And then I took a pass from an NHL guy. Now, that's another experience. Like, <laughs> he's like, just, just you know, easy. <laughs> no, it would ricochet off my stick every time. Just amazing. The littlest, if you boil down the professional athlete to just the simple thing of how they throw the baseball, it's like that took 10,000 hours in a field with their... Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. Is that yeah. what you said? 10,000? Yeah. yeah. The whole theory behind so it takes the grind, man. What you do, what I do, what mm -hmm. every one of us does, it's like it takes commitment. And that's what I'm fascinated with. And that's why I just feel connected to the sports world. Yeah. Because everyone around it, you know, you know, Bill Bunnell, mm -hmm. right? So I love Bill Bunnell. Yeah. Bill Bunnell is a um, superstar at ESPN. Yeah, we love Bill. He runs Special Olympics and, and he's a lot a of event guy, stuff. Right? Yes. And, <laughs> and that's so funny because yeah. none of, I didn't know that, but right. he literally has songs on iTunes. Yes. And he may make some in different studios around the world now, but like he's telling his story, having lived through everything production side of sports, he still finds interest in the music. Whereas us musicians are surrounded by this stuff constantly. But if you put me in a practice, with a team. If you put me in a press conference, anything around sports, I'm my I just can't believe what's going on. I mean that's what part of it. Oh yeah. Everything. Everything. I mean the NASCAR thing, everything down to the trailers, the trucks, the buses, the It's beautiful, isn't just it? The smell, I the just sound, think it's the noise, the the fan base, just the the way they embrace the fan base. They bring the fans into the experience because these are these are arena stadiums or whatever that are so large. They understand that you got to bring the folks into the experience because that's really all we want to do. We want to mm -hmm. smell the gasoline, you know. I and love that's it. that's what people like about. Music. And then NASCAR, I love that you get access the second they get out of a car because nowhere else do you really. Which I can't get believe. That. They I can't. Do that. I can't believe it's still that way. I mean, it's phenomenal for reaction, but it's quite right. It's. I mean, I mean so many great personalities are coming out of NASCAR. Mm -hmm. I mean, and through the past few, Brian Vickers, amazing. I love the guy, great personality to, you know, even Junior now is out there really making a name for himself in the, in the, in the name for himself, but you know what I mean? In media. <laughs> broadcasting, right. Yeah, right, broadcasting. Yeah. So it, it's and just... And podcasting too, yeah. Yeah, he's doing so much. These guys uh, and girls are so interesting. If you dig and peel back the onion, there's so much going on there that uh, it's all about the grind. You know, so that's why I'm a Rangers fan now, because I got to experience that firsthand and understand a little bit more. So my heart goes out to the folks. Uh, so I should thank the Rangers for the opportunity to talk to you because you really are, you know, in some <laughs> roundabout way. So thank you. Rangers. No, I'm just saying, like, why did I why did I switch? <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's a compelling argument. I understand. And plus, you've lived here in New York for 20 years. You yes, said, right. That's so that's right. So I mean, half, you're kind half of, in D.C., half here. All right. All right. That's right.
Mark, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. There was just something about that conversation that was so weirdly therapeutic for me. I think that the way Mark talks about, you know, their journey, the evolution of OAR, it's just there are so many different things to apply. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you so much to my guest, Mark Roberge of OAR. I cannot wait to listen to the rest of this album and hear what they have next. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Players. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or really anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget, please leave a review while you're there. Um, And also, maybe tell like 10 of your friends to tell 10 of their friends to go ahead and review and listen, subscribe. Thank you also to the good folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. I'll see you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.